0: And Harry's has the highest customer satisfaction in the shaving industry, plus a convenient subscription option that you can cancel at any time. Getting the best doesn't mean spending the most when you shave with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at Harrys.com slash BlueWire. That's Harrys.com slash BlueWire for a $3 trial set.
1: Hello and welcome to Here's Where It Went Wrong, the podcast where every week we have on one of our favorite comedians to talk about one of their favorite things, and we trace its history to find out exactly where it all went off the rails. I'm Windsor Powers. I'm joined as always by my co-host, Andrew Nadeau. Andrew, how you doing, buddy?
2: I'm doing so good. We just had a fantastic episode. We had Lisa Curry back on, who we had on for our uh, Union Jimmy Hoff episode. She knew so much; it was so good, and we got to have her on today and find out that she's in consideration for a Grammy for her incredible album "Alive for a While." It's so good; it's so deserving of it. But that doesn't definitely mean you you get it. So, guys, for any of our listeners who happen to have a a connection here, please go vote for this. We want this to be nominated, and then obviously win eventually. But right now, we're just going for nominated.
1: Her album "Alive for a While" so good. Please check it out. Like, even if you'd have. No connection to the Grammys. Just listen to the album.
2: Yeah, listen anyway. It's it's worth it. We had her on today to discuss the history of airplanes and aviation and then where it went wrong, again, connecting to unions and government deregulation. And it was one of our most all over the place, and I think those are always our most fun. We covered everything from why humans evolve so stupidly to the first guy to jump off a tower with wings taped to him. It was a lot of stuff. I'm
1: still shocked it didn't work because I am dumb
2: yeah (laughs) we're all disappointed but it was an amazing episode and i'm so excited to get right into it yeah let's go Lisa Curry, thank you so much for coming back. Thanks for having me back. Absolutely. I mean, we, you had a, a really fun episode last time where we got to talk about unions and the mob, and it was some deep, heady stuff.
1: It was so fun. Got super into the Irishman. Yeah. yeah.
3: That was fun. <laughs> Anytime I'm able to talk about Jimmy Hoffa, I was with somebody recently, and Jimmy Hoffa came up, and I lit up, and they were like, Are you okay? It's like,
2: No, I have so much knowledge on this that you should have prepared more time for this conversation now. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah. And now I'm like really excited because, you know, if they don't reach a deal, this is not going to be timely anymore. God bless. Me.
2: Yeah. <laughs>
3: but IATSE is set to go on strike on Monday. And I'm like, oh yeah, right. here comes my Hoffa side.
2: <laughs> yeah, I am. I'm absolutely following this close. And I, I mean, it is one of those very social things after what we saw with the Writers Union 2 over a number of years, now getting this on the other side, really hoping it pans out. And obviously all of us are prepared to go all in just from hopefully that one podcast episode. All of you guys are too. Yeah. And ready to go full Hoffa here.
3: Yeah, I'm ready to bust some kneecaps.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And we really wanted to get you back now because you have huge news about your album Alive for a while, which was absolutely amazing to begin with. But please tell us what happened.
3: Thank you so Thank you. I worked really hard on it. It's been submitted for Grammy consideration, which is very exciting. That's
2: amazing. Yes!
3: Thank you, thank you. yes. And so what that means is now myself and whomever else was submitted by their record companies, which is, pro- I think, like, not a ton of us this year. Thank you, COVID, yeah. <laughs> for upping my odds. Shout out to horrible, deadly viruses.
1: Are in-their defense of COVID is, hey, got this album considered
3: for a Grammy.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Lisa got a Grammy. Yeah,
3: it's absolutely giving me better odds. So then of the pool that was submitted, five of us will go on to be nominated. And then from there, people can vote, which I'm absolutely, Bo Burnham will be winning and should be winning. But if I could be one of the five, would really love that.
2: Absolutely. And we we talked about the the other ones in consideration here, and there, there are some good ones, but yours absolutely belongs up there with them. So we're really hoping, and they're not gonna let me vote, but we're gonna still put this out here in case.
3: If anybody knows anyone out there, in the Recording Academy. Please tell them to vote for me. We have a pretty good
2: reach <laughs> on this podcast now. We're, we're absolutely spreading the word here. I don't know if, if we actually have anyone listening that could help, but I'm going to trust that we do. I love it. <laughs> so that's amazing. And you, you've been on tour now with Jim Jeffries. Oh,
3: it's been so much fun.
2: I would imagine. I mean, he's, he's fantastic.
3: Yeah, he's, of course, very funny and also just great to work with.
2: Right. You wrote for the Jim Jeffries show before this, right? Yeah. Yeah. Which was a blast.
1: If you're going to be on the road, best to be on it with somebody that you could stand to be around for that amount of time. Yeah.
2: Oh,
3: absolutely. That's the thing. Like, I know some friends open for some bigger comics, and it's really hit or miss. Some of them, I'll ask how it's going, and they're like, "You know, it's a good opportunity." Yeah. I'm like, "Eh." that's like when when your friend is trying to set you up with somebody, and you're like, "Ooh, what are they like?" And they're like, "They're nice," and you're like, "Oh, they're ugly."
2: Yeah. (laughs) You could have just said that. (laughs) Yeah. There's clearly some subtext here. Uh, So I'm so glad that's been fun, and I think it's going to come out on the 26th. So you still have a couple dates left in LA.
3: I'm going to be opening for Jim at the theater at the Ace Hotel, downtown LA, November 7th. I'm very excited because it's also my birthday weekend.
2: Oh, that's amazing. So
3: that's going to be fun. And then I have some of my own dates here and there. And then I pick back up with Jim
2: next year. That is so cool. I actually got to meet you out in LA. Yeah. Which was, I was very surprised. I went out there for a few days to do a couple of shows. And Lisa, obviously we'd work together on stuff before doing this. And I think a Zoom show or two, but it was great. that We were on the same lineup there. So it was very nice to meet you. You had a fantastic set.
3: Great to meet you as well. Oh, thank you.
2: So LA guys, if you're out there, please go check out Jim V. Lisa Curry. She's going to have other dates as well, but November 7th for the last show with Jim on the tour.
3: It's also like, this is so corny. Sorry, this is like just a little corny aside, but I had this like list in my phone of like places to check out when I have time and I never had time because I was always like waiting tables and working 10 jobs and I looked at it recently because so I was like, well now I have some free time and the theater at the Ace Hotel is on there because it's like some legendary theater and now I'm performing there. That will be my first time there. I'm
2: so excited. Oh, that's incredible. That is so cool. <laughs> You've had a hell of a year. That's amazing.
3: It's been crazy. Again, thank you, COVID. I I just, I love you so much. Yeah. <laughs> thank you to the people of Wuhan. Yeah. And thank you for everyone who doesn't wear masks. That's going to be my speech. <laughs> this is good. <laughs> just shout out for everybody making this worse. It's helping me personally. Yeah. <laughs> and I appreciate it.
2: I would love that if that was like just the long game that was set up here. It like this was like look a couple million people are gonna die but Lisa's gonna have just a hell of a year yeah
1: look <laughs> A fun butterfly effect has happened, okay? Let's just admit it.
3: (laughs) I've vacationed in China a couple of times, so
2: take what you will from that. Who knows? Yeah. (laughs) So speaking of travel, too, you had another very cool topic for us today. Oh, yeah. Let's start with some aviation stuff, because we're going to get into, obviously, again, we're going to tie back into unions at the end. I love Uh, it. But we're going to start with some history of aviation stuff and, and personal stories. So, Lisa, you've currently been flying nonstop on tour then, coach. I assume.
3: Every time. I've never flown in first class. Can somebody, if you're out there, if you're listening, please, please <laughs> help me to first class. I need it.
2: <laughs> I have flown first class. I have never paid for it. I was a child and they had to, I was like 10 years old and they had to move my seat. And I said, well, as long as you have to move my seat, can you move me to first class? And they thought it was an adorable that a precocious 10 year old would ask this. So they, they got me to first class.
3: Oh, <laughs> I love that. Did you drink a lot of champagne?
2: I mean, they, they were a little strict on that. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, I was there. I, I, I had the newspaper from the person next to me. So great, adorable, home alone-esque move um, when looks so annoyed.
1: Yeah. I'm sorry, I'm picturing you <laughs> little feet kicking in the air because it can't reach the ground. Yeah. Yeah. You have the business section up after you just bumped yourself <laughs> up to first class. I'm sure there's at least one person who is working at the desk. thought that they were in like a reverse big situation
0: yeah
2: (laughs) this was of course pre 9 11 too so when they were like all whimsical with oh yeah do whatever you want we don't care so they
3: just put you in the cockpit for a little while yeah
2: (laughs) yeah nobody cared at that time (laughs)
1: little andrew was whittling in first class (laughs) yeah
2: (laughs) yeah that was actually back in the when you could carry a three-inch knife on board (laughs) what was the rule at this time period in the in the 90s i have tried that since then both being an adult i'm sure also didn't help. But I said, you know, like, you yeah, have anything in first class? I'm like, we can't do that. We, you have a ticket that says coach actually was re- recently was on a flight and said, there's an open seat just in the emergency exit row and I'm tall. Can I just go there? And they said, no, you'd have to pay extra. And I said, I'll pay you extra. They said, no, you would have to do it in advance because somebody else paid extra and that's not fair to them. And I'm like, well, I don't really care about that. <laughs> this feels fine on my end.
3: I crab about never having been in first class, but then also I fly Southwest, which is like the pilots don't even have like room yeah no
2: classes (laughs) so for the most part i don't mind it too much i like the i'm mostly okay with the look i'm gonna get somewhere new and i for some reason see this as an excuse to eat terribly for like five hours
3: it's like vegas to me where i'm like i don't mind flying coach myself and i don't mind vegas in a vacuum it's the people that are there with me that make it a living hell
0: right (laughs) yeah
2: Oh, yeah. No, there is almost always someone just just terrible, just the worst person you could have ever met. The worst people on Earth. It's just the combination, too, of just the absolute lawlessness of the airport versus these really strict rules on the plane and getting through. It's just just this weird juxtaposition of, are we pretending rules exist here? Are we pretending nothing matters? I just need to pick one.
3: Here's the thing also, like there is a global health crisis, mask mandates on planes, and people are still getting on planes barefoot. What the fuck?
1: (laughs) I don't know what the fuck that is.
3: (laughs) Look, I am the most barefoot person. I will walk across an entire city barefoot. I love being barefoot. I will not be barefoot on a plane because it's not my own private space. What are we doing, guys? Stop this.
2: Also it feels like probably a disgusting place, but it's just the level of comfort some people have on planes is far too much.
3: It's upsetting
1: if we're being honest. I like what you said about the lawlessness of the airport, because yeah, there are no rules. Like once you get past security, all Lord of the Flies, like people are setting up tent cities. Oh yeah. And like (laughs) empty terminals and stuff where they'll like sneak food back and they'll all eat it like raccoons over those like uncomfortable chairs, because guess what, there is a first-class of the regular airport called the Sky Lounge and none of us will ever see the inside of it.
3: Can I tell you guys?
1: Please. You saw the inside of it, didn't you? <laughs> well,
3: <laughs> kind of, well, yes, not even the Sky Lounge, but the American Airlines Admiral's Lounge. I was flying from Miami to Jacksonville with Jim and the other opener. And Jim like went to go find McDonald's or something and missed out on, like, cause he had global entry. So he's in a different lane than us anyway. And we lost him. And then the other opener, Amos and I, Okay went to the admirals club because Amos is like platinum on what is it on some fucking Qatar airlines or something, which is a partner fine. And we went in, I had never seen anything like this before. It's like, it's a second floor. It's above you. There's literally windows where you can look down on all the poor people. Like you can literally just watch them milling around, dragging their luggage and you walk in and they check you in. They give you this pass, they check you in and you go up this elevator. And at the top of the elevator is a little Concierge desk and a woman's like mimosa and she's like would you like mango or orange juice and hands <laughs> you a mimosa when you walk in the lounge is so enormous that we had our own section we had like our own section of a bunch of couches and plugs and whatever and you can just leave your shit and walk around and they had two big buffets they had like coffee and alcoholic drinks and like all this like really good good healthy food and they had an the omelet station where you could like have a custom <laughs> omelet made and everything was fucking free and. I I was like, this is better than the best hotel I've been in.
2: That is absolutely incredible. This
1: is amazing. Two big thoughts about this. One, I love that Jim missed out on this because he was getting McDonald's. Yeah.
3: Oh, and then he couldn't even find the McDonald's. And then Amos (laughs) and I were late. So we literally held it and had to check our luggage, which held up our arrival. And Jim was like, never again, guys. (laughs) We were like, whoopsie. <laughs>
0: and I can't
2: believe this place exists Well, in the regular normal person airport. Like there are just birds in there and nobody's even doing anything about it. Like you just have to accept wildlife as part of your experience now.
3: <laughs> okay,
1: me and my wife were in a long distance relationship. After I got out of college, she had a fifth year. I worked down at a theater down in Florida. She was in Mississippi. So I would like fly to her like once every like two months or something for us to have like a very short weekend together kind of thing. So I had to go to the Orlando airport where where there are birds everywhere. (laughs) It's basically a bird sanctuary. And I would frequently, because it was like a two-hour drive to Orlando, I'd have to fly to like Atlanta and then fly from Atlanta to Jackson. So I'd either get stuck and have to sleep in the Orlando airport because my plane would... Always get canceled or the <laughs> Atlanta airport, which was scarier. Cause like, I'm just like, I can't even drive home. I'm just in a different state now. And I'd be like, Hey, the plane didn't take off. Can I have a place to sleep, please? And they'd be like, go fuck yourself. Which I just realized I was doing an all Mulaney bit there. Fuck it, I don't care.
3: They're like, you could go rent a car and sleep in that. Yeah.
1: Literally, they're just like, there's a variety of hotels you can go to fuck yourself in if you would like to try that. (laughs) So I would do that constantly. So that was my entire, like, I'm so burnt out on air travel because I did that for an entire year where I was just constantly sleeping in airports on the ground just hoping i just woke up with my stuff still next to me. So uh fuck airports <laughs> is what i'm trying to say. That
2: is an absolute nightmare. That's just incredibly common. It's just if you walk through an airport you will see that every single time. Uh, it's- talk so hard. So we're going to get to the series of events that led to this lawless structure that we currently all have to deal with. But let's hit a bit in the history of aviation first, because I wanted to get some good background here. So the earliest attempts I could find of human aviation were tower jumping, which was they would use bird like wings or stiffened cloaks to attempt to glide jumping off a tower. Daedalus and Icarus being the most famous early story from between 60 and 30 BCE. But there were others originating from Asia that perhaps predate it, as China had created kite flying, which is the earliest example of man-made flight, dating back several hundred years BCE. But remembering we're about 2,000 years from Newton's third law, there's almost no understanding of what would actually be required to sustain a person in the air, even in gliding. So the idea at this point is mostly, look at a bird, and they've got kind of things that go out and feathers on them. Those two things are probably necessary. And that was the extent of the thought as people are jumping off of towers here.
1: I will say... It tracks
3: to my dumb brain. Yeah, so. yeah. I will tell you guys, I also had uh, bunk beds as a kid that I share with my little brother. And look, I was an honor student yeah. my whole life, <laughs> but also I believed the Peter Pan thing that if you think happy thoughts, you can fly. Yeah. And I would get on the top bunk and just squeeze my eyes closed and just think as hard as I can. And I'd be like, oh, I have to think happy thoughts. And I would hold my breath and jump off the top bunk repeatedly. I mean, like (laughs) 10 times in a row and thinking like one of these times I'm going to take flight. And I'm like, oh, I'm not thinking hard enough. That's what the problem is here.
2: That was probably it. What a way to find out you're depressed as a child.
3: (laughs) You know what? That never occurred to me. And that is incredibly accurate.
2: All right. But if that had worked, that would have ended up being a great story. Ultimately, a broken leg is probably worth the cost to possibly get this to work.
3: Yeah. Thank God I have strong bones.
1: I would do the thing where I would jump from high places, but like I was scientific because I would hold a plastic bag sure. and like, a parachute down from high places.
3: Have I thought to myself, oh, if this plane starts to crash, I'll use my jacket
2: that, as a parachute.
3: Yeah. Certainly have.
2: Honestly, Mary pop screwed up for everybody where they're like you know what umbrellas could probably do this
1: absolutely have you ever held an umbrella in the wind Andrew they go inside
2: out immediately yeah look we live in Chicago I've had this experience I have lost two umbrellas on the same trip just walking down the street
3: they're terrible (laughs) I hate umbrellas they not a single one of them works
1: you say you lost an umbrella but no one's ever actually owned an umbrella Andrew
0: (laughs) never
2: (laughs) it's just a thing you pick up randomly when you happen to see one. I don't know I got to my house but it's there now (laughs) so First possible real example of human gliding that's been documented because it's theorized that a lot of people just jumped off a of shit with stuff strapped to them and then they died. But this was in 559 CE, and it's Emperor Wen Wenjian of Northern Qi in China. What's CE? <laughs> current <laughs> current era or common era? So oh. now AD. Yeah. I was like, Christ, what? <laughs> It's it's the scientific documentation of before a common era and common era.
1: They pretty much were just like, we want to take the Jesus stuff out of our saying what dates are, which I'm against. Yeah. <laughs> so they chose before a common era and common era. Uh,
2: it was surprising. I expected the notation to kind of switch over more drastically, but it's still one of those. It's like in some places, it's the only thing they use, and some never mention it at all. So Wen Zhuan, as he expanded his reach, he took prisoner uh, Yuan Huangtao, the son of the emperor of Northern Wei. And as an experiment, Yuan along with other prisoners, was just thrown from a tower with a large kite strapped to them as an experiment with flight.
3: Wait, here's what I want to know. Did yeah. they start off experimenting with people or were they like, let's see if this chair will fly?
2: It's, <laughs> <laughs> I, it seems like, look, th- these were prisoners they were going to kill anyway. So this was kind of a like, let's just see if it works. I'm betting they started with people. But from the records, Juan was the only one who survived. And from a tower that was approximately 33 meters tall, supposedly he sailed 2.5 kilometers. Most people think that at this point, this is not a true story the distances don't match up a lot of it would have been hard but this was still an early documented case one that was discussed as if it was real but also he was still to be executed so they had him starved to death after this i feel like like that should have earned like a release
1: he flew fucking two and a half kilometers away (laughs) why did he wait i know i would have hit the ground and started running (laughs) right essentially like could you imagine if like you were in prison, and then they threw you outside of prison, and you just waited to get gathered up. I know.
2: <laughs> it's like, all right, guys, this one worked. I guess let's all go back and celebrate. And, and then, yeah, it just ended absolutely terribly for him. So the next case that is, again, probably not true, but still well documented. Ninth century, you have this Andalusian Muslim astronomer and inventor, Abbas Ibn Furnas, and he attempted a short gliding flight with wings he'd made and covered in feathers, and again, jumped from a tower. And supposedly, he actually glided fairly well, but injured his back when he was But the theory for the cause of the injury was that he didn't know birds land on their tails, which they don't do. And had he attached a tail, he would have been fine.
3: Here's the thing. You can tell this is before advanced biology because it's such a childish thought that like feathers are what propels you into the air. It's like, nah, dude, it's way more than that.
2: Right. (laughs) It was incredible how often these were like, no, if you just put the feathers on it, that's going to fix it. And then you realize how many things just like this is before the concept of gravity. There is not an understanding of why we're down here in the first place. So the idea of what could make us go up could be anything. The feathers could just have a magic. Property And let's give it a shot, see what happens.
1: I would love to be the scientist who's like, you fucking idiot. You didn't put on a beak.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> About 200 years after this, where they blame blamed the lack of a tail, Almer of, of Malmesbury, an English Benedictine monk, who had read and believed the story of Icarus as youth, he attempted a gliding flight. He attached wings to his hands and feet, which is, again, why I believe this one did not happen, because that would create more instability, and supposedly soared more than 200 meters. But according to the account agitated by the violence of the wind and the swirling air as well as by the awareness of his rash attempt he fell broke both his legs and was lay, lame ever after but interestingly because he was unable to bounce himself forward and backwards like a bird does by slight movements he wasn't able to maintain his equilibrium so he actually might have glided down successfully if he had attached a large tail
3: oh well there you go <laughs>
1: so tails seem to be a major part of flight is what I'm getting from this
2: it's a major part of guessing if flight will work yeah But
3: so then if humans <laughs> used to have tails because we have tail bones. Right. Did we also used to fly?
2: <laughs> These were different tails? Should we not have a vault? It's, I mean, I, in general, I think, yes, that we would have been far better off at a different stage than we are now. Uh, <laughs> but the, the loss of tails in humans was one of those things too, where it's like, we didn't need to lose that. That wasn't hurting anybody.
3: If I had a tail and maybe some gills, yeah. I should have <laughs> get done.
1: Wait, wait, wait. What could you get done with gills? What's really pressing on your
0: that you
3: need for. Listen, you can get across places more quickly. You don't have to drive around a body of water. No, you
0: can't. <laughs>
1: be in the water during that time a boat is so much better than you paddling
2: yourself
3: You gotta rent a boat who has money for this <laughs> the gills are
2: already on you yeah
3: it's a good workout <laughs> swimming is the best exercise for your body so
2: that's true this is roughly the type of logic that they used to employ here to jump off of a tower Yeah. So. that this was probably gonna work out
1: or the top of a bunk bed yeah yeah.
3: Yeah, <laughs> yeah and they were the scientists of their time so basically by extrapolation I am also a scientist so yeah. <laughs>
2: There we go. So let's just skip ahead. to maybe, We'll actually get to the, some of the more interesting parts later. But 1600s Ligari Hassan Celebi is said to have glided over the Bosphorus straight in Turkey. And everyone says that he was known to lie and exaggerate about everything. So this didn't happen, but maybe he glided a little bit. And in 1633, his brother Ligari Hassan Celebi supposedly launched a seven winged rocket he was strapped to using 140 pounds of gunpowder. Mythbusters actually tried to recreate this one, but said there wasn't enough specific detail of the design to know if they're was accurate, though noted it would have been extremely difficult in the time period without modern steel alloys and welding to land safely, they supposedly landed in the water, or even achieve thrust at all, and their rocket did explode mid-flight. So, we're finally getting to the point of the actual first confirmed human flight. And this is in 1783 by Jean-Francois Pilatre de Rosier. He's in an untethered hot air balloon. Etienne Montgolfier had gone up in a tethered balloon a couple of months prior, but this was considered the first real flight being untethered. This was in Montgolfier's uh, balloon design that Rosier used, which uses just hot air produced by a burner, then contained by the balloon. And uh, Rosier, in 1785, developed his own balloon, which had a separate cell for lighter-than-air gas, typically Helium and a cone below for hot air to heat the helium at night. And then they did something that for some reason humans keep doing, which is try hydrogen instead of helium. So <laughs> he actually s- survived, it was, but eventually this design was abandoned because they kept blowing up. It's what's going to happen. The first woman flew untethered less than a year after the first flight. <laughs> Elizabeth Thibble flew over Lyon, singing arias and dressed as the goddess Minerva to entertain Gustav III of Sweden, who was visiting, and I am confident could not hear her.
3: Is it because women's voices are too high pitched and annoying? She's
2: half a mile in the air, Mm, just screaming an aria down (laughs) to the ground.
1: (laughs) Could you imagine being this guy having to look up and like pretend he's really excited about it? Like, oh, yeah, that's very nice. Good
2: songs. They even named the balloon after him. Like he looked up and might have seen the balloon, but I cannot imagine that he heard anything at all. So after this, you get a lot of balloon development. 1793 is the first jump from a balloon with a parachute, which at this point was that fixed ridge one where it's just like the pyramid built out of wood. A few years later, they come up with the actual cloth design so it can be compact. Sophie Blanchard was the first solo woman pilot of balloon in 1805 and also the first woman to die in an aviation accident in 1819 when her hydrogen balloon ignited. And we're going to skip ahead here because this is where we get into airship territory, which I want to save for a, an eventual Hindenburg episode. and We have enough here on just regular planes. So the first real man glider appeared in the mid 19th century and is launched by George Cayley, considered by many to be the first person to understand the underlying principles of flight and force. But he was The one that flew it. He just strapped this unnamed 10 year old (laughs) into the glider and an uncontrolled glider as a pilot and just pushed him off.
3: It seems like that was the inspiration for Balloon Boy, which happened (laughs) eight years ago or so.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I had completely forgotten about that. And that was the weirdest just transition of experiences everyone being horrified, everyone being like, why this was such a dumb thing to lie about. Why? Why would you try this?
1: Quick thing, just because it's not noted here. Did this ten-year-old survive?
2: He did. He survived. At this point, they're not going very high because they're, they're working on the glider. It's like just jump and see what happens. But still, like I assume he he wanted someone very light. But also, this was still at the age where they're like, you know what, you're small. You could be a chimney sweep. This was ten-year-olds at this point were part of a unique workforce that in- included you know pilots and chimney sweeps.
3: <laughs> unique workforce. Fo- That's a way to put it. Very specific jobs. <laughs>
1: Hey, Lisa, are you still pro-union now that yeah. we're taking away all these sweet jobs from 10-year-olds? You
3: know, I think there should be, I don't know if there's a chimney sweeps union, but it should be children, logically. Who else fits in a fucking chimney? Yeah. How are you doing a good job if you're an adult? You can't get in there. That's like having your car detailed, but they won't get into the car to vacuum it. You don't know what you're doing.
2: I mean, to be fair, you're probably also not doing a great job if you're a 10-year-old shoved into a chimney.
3: Yeah.
2: <laughs> You know, they're motivated.
3: I I worked pretty hard when I was yeah. there, so... <laughs>
2: oh, that's true. You had the family business. Yeah. <laughs> you had the same roughly equivalent work experience as a 10-year-old. Exactly. So at this stage, you've got the advancements of gliders. They started trying to add propellers and propulsion. The first controlled glider flight was Otto Lilienthal in 1891, who had repeated successful flights, but then died in 1896 in a crash. And that brings us to 1903 and the Wright brothers, with the first controlled, sustained flight in a powered airplane on December 17th. And... This breakthrough was in their creation of the three-axis control system, having to control angles of rotation in three dimensions since you'll be in the air. And this was one of the things that was not really considered at the time. This is still the method that's standard on fixed-wing aircraft today, but everyone else was kind of like, no, we just need a stronger engine, just get more power. But the Wrights built a small homemade wind tunnel, collecting more accurate data than anyone had before, learning to design more efficient wings and propellers. In fact, they had this huge argument over what the propeller shape should be. And they started looking at ships and they found out there was no standard design for propellers and then eventually said aren't they just basically each a little wing Uh, so based it on their wing design and had massive success and their first pad wasn't even for a flying machine it was for a system of aerodynamic control that manipulated the flying machine's surface
3: did they put feathers
2: on it though amazingly didn't even need feathers
1: was there a tail because i've been told that tails are the most important part of flight
2: (laughs) they actually tried it without a tail and could not get it to launch it wasn't until they figured out they could add a tail that they were able to create stability needed to get the lift
1: hell yeah tails. (laughs) tails.
2: <laughs> so this actually was very significant in the achievement. It was just early on the misunderstanding of like, no, birds probably just land on that and that makes it softer <laughs> was the misstep. There are some claims of others did it first, depending on which one to consider a plane, but this was the one that people consider to be a sustained, powered, and controlled flight. And amazingly, they did this. It cost less than $1,000 to build, equivalent to about 29000 today. a day. On their first day of flight, they made two successful flights each, all from level ground into a freezing headwind gusting at 25 miles per Hour. And the first flight reached 120 feet, the next 175 and, and the next 200, all about 10 feet off the ground. And the last flight went 859 feet, staying in the air for 59 seconds, long enough that they started being able to determine where the instability came in and how to correct for what was happening as, as they faced shifts in the aircraft. So less than a year later, Wilbur Wright uh, flew the first circular path, showcasing their steering and control. He flew 4,080 feet. And this was just immediate growth in the industry. This was the understanding that the public needed for the basis of what an aircraft needs to have in order to fly. I
3: mean, I am a scientist, but I have to say some of this is a little over my head. Yeah. <laughs> no pun intended. Ha!
2: <laughs> <laughs> ha! <laughs> For our audience, there was a ridiculously close leading to the camera for that delivery. It was, it
0: was very well-timed.
1: <laughs> I would love to have been the Wright Brothers at this time because they're the only people with a plane. And so I would just be taking it into town. I would just be flying into town every chance I get and just land on Main Street and be like, oh, that? that- <laughs> oh, yeah, that's, that's the Wright Mobile. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's what we're all going to call them.
2: <laughs> that, it actually was called the Wright Flyer. But the first one, after their first successful attempt, they're trying to tow it back and the winds were so strong that it just flipped it over multiple multiple times and destroyed it, but they built more. So the next real developments here in aircraft design came from, as so many other designs we do, from war. In 1911, the first is dropped from a plane. Giulio Gavati, an Italian lieutenant, dropped grenades from his plane on Ottoman troops in Libya in the uh, Italo-Turkish war. He also flew the first night mission a year later. 1912, they figured out how to launch airplanes from moving ship.
3: I just love that it's like three minutes after they discover they can put a person in a plane and fly, and they're like, we should bomb shit.
2: Oh, immediately. It's <laughs> (laughs) just as soon as they. we should
1: drop grenades from up here
2: (laughs) (laughs) it was remarkably fast at this point they're still like barely getting stuff well into the air they're just trying to figure out how to actually go to and from a place distance is not very impressive they're flying at like less than 100 miles per hour so they're just like let me just try throwing grenades out
1: human nature dictates that like the first people that were flying planes had to have been like how can I kill people with this? Or how can I fuck with this? Yeah. I mean, and like absolutely. those
3: are like the two main concerns. <laughs>
2: that's all anybody cared about. It's it's amazing how often that comes up right after someone who is just like purely interested in science is like, look, I made this amazing thing that can be used for all sorts of things. And they're like, we could probably kill people with it though. And that's immediately what it gets co-opted for.
1: I mean, we just had a whole LSD episode where they were just like, Okay, let's use this to make assassins and give dolphins hand jobs. And it's just like, what? Why were those the two things you thought of first. That's a
2: really good <laughs> yeah. plug for that episode, too, because anyone who has not heard that yet probably has to go find out why they were doing this. That, that, that was a, a weird transition of events. And
3: then it's like the next thing you discover is that dolphins are rapists. This seems like a weird what are we doing, guys?
2: I know. It's, yeah, dolphins. <laughs> there's a lot of troubled dolphin history. <laughs> it's one of those where a lot of people had, had to come to regret just a terrible ankle tattoo that they thought was so wonderful when they were 19 and then find out the horrible truth about dolphins. I <laughs> <that, laughs> like that we keep going back from airplanes to just underwater travel. Just gills and dolphins.
1: Talking about gills, that's what Lisa needs in order to complete her exactly. daily tasks. Yeah. <laughs>
2: exactly.
3: I mean, just think of like, you would be like if you had a tail and you'd basically be like one of those SUVs that can go underwater and like go up mountains and stuff. Like you would be as versatile. Yeah. It's like a top tier vehicle.
1: I need to apologize because I did not realize that we're talking about a fish-like tail in this scenario. I was assuming monkey tail that it was like prehensile, you could grab things. But now knowing that you could swim that much faster with a (laughs) fishtail, everything that I was saying earlier that was bullying fell (laughs) wrong and
3: I apologize. I feel like something sleek and a little flat so it could propel you like a fishtail, but ideally it's got a little like spike at the end so you (laughs) could-
1: Oh, it's got to have the spike yeah. at the end. I was thinking monkey tail where I could like pick up my keys and stuff like as like a fun little thing, like a prehensile tail.
3: Oh, maybe a couple of spikes and then you could kind of scoot it under the keys and pick them up that <laughs> way. This is perfect. This is, I'm putting in requests. We're, we're just
2: designing <laughs> the next evolution of humans here. <laughs> that, I mean, look, I support it. I don't know how to make it happen, but obviously this is a great idea and I'm amazed.
0: Pro teams have millions to spend and they don't always spend them wisely when you shave with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash bluewire. That's harrys.com slash bluewire for a $3 trial set. Is ...that nature hasn't gotten there yet.
2: Tell us about real science, Andrew. Jeez. All right, we're, we're going to... This is way too much here with... with It's just war for a while. They start putting on machine guns. First, they're just used for reconnaissance, planes are, and then basically the like, well, we can't let them have that information, so we got to find a way to shoot down the plane. And then they're like, well, the planes are flying higher, so we got to get our own planes up there to shoot down the planes. So it's just like people just wanted to know stuff. And they're like, we have to kill them before they learn anything. After this, ground attacks from the air become standard. It's, it's just straight with machine guns or rudimentary bombs. Some more to aid in advance or cover retreat rather than attacking targets. But they couldn't hit specific targets. It's just kind of throwing shit out there and hoping it lands somewhere. By the end of World War I, it was a common practice by German air forces on London, carried out by Zeppelin airships most of the time. Then later by bombers flying as high as 20,000 feet. And basically at the end of the war, though, it, it's just coming into 50 figuring out how to make it all work. So by World War II, they are incredibly ready to go because they have the tactics figured out, which is the reconnaissance, air superiority, tactical ground support, and strategic bombing. And these four methods just take over World War II.
0: I mean,
1: World War II is kind of known as like they really perfected a lot of shit from World War One. Like the Germans were eviler, the yeah. were better. <laughs> like really, really like a situation where the sequel is so much better than the original. You know, but, World yeah. War II, if we're being honest.
2: It's better produced. <laughs> better is a weird choice of words, but in terms of production quality. I have We're to agree. We're talking in like technical <laughs> objective terms. Objectively, like clearly they did a better job with World War II. Come on, multiple fronts. <laughs>
1: yeah, technically it's better. Look how many World War II movies are there? A fucking million. A lot of people don't go back to World War One because it's just, it's more boring to watch.
2: No, World War One, you basically just have Snoopy.
3: Yeah, well, we have like 1917 and that's it. Was that about World War One?
2: <laughs> <laughs> Based on the time period, I would assume so.
1: It's 1970 and fucking Wonder Woman. Like those are the two <laughs> World War One movies. And as Andrew pointed out, whenever Snoopy was the Red Baron, oh, yeah. yes, that would also be World War One.
2: By the way, which like a really interesting twist for the comic book is like, here's an adorable dog. He's going to go murder some Germans real quick. Just an incredible change from just a depressed 10 year old that we were normally focusing on.
1: It was his patriotic duty to murder those 10 year olds. <laughs> wait, I said to murder those 10-year-olds. He had to also murder those 10 year olds. They were very annoying. Lucy was pulling Frank's. Constantly, and what else would you expect from a dog whose best friend is a bird named after a rock concert?
2: That, yeah, a lot of, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Wait, was this pre Woodstock? The concert was the. God damn it! I feel like it was. It seemed like Snoopy came out first. What the hell were they naming Woodstock after? Then
3: I have no idea, and I'm willing to believe whatever. Honestly,
2: our sidetracks are legendary. This episode, <laughs> prime stuff. <laughs> when I can feel is Googling it. When
1: are you looking this up? I uh, I was starting to. Yes,
2: please. Yeah. When was Charlie Brown created? Because it was this. It was like almost the same year as the. Coaster song and there was that debate They're like no this came up independently we just both happened to name two guys everyone hates as Charlie Brown so
1: the character appeared in 1967 okay but was not named until 1970 oh, okay. uh, he was named after the Woodstock Festival of 1969 the bird was named after the concert amazing win okay. fucking wins from his dumb tangent you can continue on with playing <laughs> or whatever dumb thing yeah. you wanted to talk about <laughs> <laughs>
2: so three years he had an unnamed best friend and then like oh there was a big concert. Let's even after that. I always assumed it was. I
3: was like there must be something like Woodstock must be the name of something like, like some kind of hammer. Yeah, <laughs> it's just kind of the story I made up in my mind, and that was what I was going with as a fact.
2: Yeah, Woodstock Hammer. I. <laughs> it was just the name of the town, right? Was that what it was? Yes. Okay. I feel like all of this is more interesting. Let's sum up World War II really quickly. They have reached 400 miles per hour in airspeed. Planes could operate at at 30,000 feet. Wing. Mounted machine guns and aerial cannons were lethal at 600 yards. Pilots could now com- communicate with the ground through radio and telephones before they used hand signals and basically just moving the wings slightly.
3: Wait, how high up were they when they were doing hand signals? Because can you see a fucking hand at this point?
2: This was mostly with other planes in World War One. Oh, so I see. So it was with the, at this point, they developed the paired strategy. So you have one person to take anyone behind you because you can't, shoot behind you. They put the guns just facing forward. So the answers over then and then they've got some actual radio communication here. And at this fight, day fighting, an enemy could be seen miles away. And at night, you'd have to get within a few hundred yards to see a bomber's silhouette. And it wasn't until radar was installed in aircraft that night fighting became feasible. And they've also developed a lot of techniques now like hiding in the sun and then diving out of that. They've also come up with a lot of counter techniques. So at this point, it's really developing. Dogfighting is still massive, but what they've really put a lot of focus on is the bombs. But due to the inaccuracy of bombs, and how many planes might be necessary just to have attackers survive, formations of 1,000 or more bombers might fly to a target, relying on not evading enemy defenses, but simply having enough aircraft to overwhelm them. And night bombing relieved bombers of the fighter plane threat, at least until radar became standard, but it meant identifying and hitting targets was near impossible. Targeting sites had been developed and put into bombers, but they're dropping bombs at 20,000 feet, which meant a one-second delay could mean that your bomb is landing absolutely nowhere near the intended target. Oh, interesting. Oh, yeah, the, the the level of travel here from these height and just the aerodynamics of the bomb meant, especially if they're trying to do this in a, a synchronized drop with maybe hundreds of planes. So basically the idea was just throw as many bombs as you possibly can and hope that one of them destroys something crucial.
1: In my head, I'm picturing the front guy is the pilot and the guy in the back has scratch pad and paper and he's trying to work out the equation to figure out when to drop the bomb. <laughs> they,
2: they created this targeting site at the end of the 30s that uh, would be fixed with a gyroscope so it would stay with the plane and wouldn't become unbalanced and would supposedly allow them to look through and see where their targets would, would hit but there were too many factors that they couldn't control such as as one pointed out the, the wind change here there was just a lot of math that wouldn't be known and again this is going to vary greatly depending on the size and the shape of the bomb so bomb runs became about how many bombs you might need to drop to destroy a target bombers were built to carry thousands of pounds of bombs and bombs dropped were often incendiary relying on the fire destroyer in an entire area because they may not be able to hit a target so between 19 19- 39 and 1945 Allied planes dropped 3.4 million tons of bombs on access powers right a bit yeah this, this was just insane and towards the end of the war we saw the jet age aircraft would soon be able to fly past the speed of sound in 47 twice the speed in 1953 and at this point basically radar had gotten so good speed had gotten so high that it, it completely changed the game dogfighting became less and less common throughout Vietnam and techniques had to shift and evolve and aircrafts became more and more prevalent as just a source of transportation and was was remarkably accessible to the public starting in about, you know, fifties, sixties, which brings us to really where it went wrong, right? After the, I mean obviously World War Two probably where it went most wrong. But another thing here, Lisa, where did it go wrong after other than World War Two?
3: Well, I think as soon as it happened, did you I didn't realize dereg the airlines were the first industry in the United States to be deregulated, which I was like, what a I don't know. I don't know which other ones may have turned out better, but I think the idea was for there to be more competition. But It deregulated, I made a list. Here's what it eliminated. It used to be, before uh, the deregulation, it used to be that all tickets were refundable. There was no penalties for changing flights. There was more leg room. Meals were included and all bags were free. And they argue, they're like, you know, uh, the price of plane tickets went down, but everything about the experience of flying got so much worse. And they went down by like 12%, by the way. It wasn't by, oh, I'm sorry, excuse excuse me, 21%. Okay, (laughs) so- Let's say my $99 one-way flight this weekend for Unjet Blue was instead $120, but I didn't have to deal with all this bullshit, and I had a full-ass meal, and I didn't have to pay another $35 to check my bag. I feel like that's worth it. I'll pay 20% more for everything to be a thousand times more pleasant.
2: Oh, yeah. trail actually used to be a pleasant experience. You'd get on the plane. It was much closer to the magnificent magical lounge you just described, where they've got food and people... Tending to your needs.
1: Everyone's wearing hats. Like, you don't have to worry about people (laughs) not wearing shoes. Everyone's wearing suits and hats. Because, like, it's a
3: great experience.
2: By the way, now I'm completely in support of wearing casual clothes because you're going to sit so uncomfortably in a plane for hours cramped and can't move.
3: I think casual clothes, but as soon as we transition into pajamas, you should be thrown off. Yeah. You should <laughs> not be allowed into the airport. I saw somebody recently in full, like, sleeping pajamas and house slippers. And it's <laughs> like, you're sitting in a chair for four hours. Give me a fucking break. Right. I mean, don't you sit at the office for eight? What are we doing here?
1: I can imagine that for like a red eye international flight. If I'm going to fly through my sleep time, I, I'm for it. If you're going from like Memphis to Chicago, an hour and a half long flight and you're wearing jamas, uh, I'm not a fan.
2: No, it's uncalled for. And yeah, because just like there are comfortable adult human clothes. It's it's not you can only wear a suit or pajamas. There are plenty of in-between options. Just because airplanes have gotten so uncomfortable, I don't understand. They're like, no, people should wear a suit. It was like, well, you should I'd wear a suit if you were taking good care of me. I'm not wearing a suit to sit in this really cramped space. And as you pointed out, yeah, there was this decrease in ticket prices. But prior to this, when it was a regulated, ticket prices were fixed and controlled by the government. Due to this deregulation, by the way, because of this, it was set so that when employees' salaries were to be raised, they could raise ticket prices along with them, which meant airlines didn't have the same incentive to fight unions. They could just pay their people fairly because it was going to be made up and they didn't have control over those numbers anyway. As soon as deregulation happened, they started laying people off and it very quickly devolved into, again, unions have to be formed to fight this. And deregulation started with the claim that like we need more competition here, this is going to bring up a chance for these smaller airlines to to develop. And of course, it had the opposite effect. They they established hubs immediately going for the large locations. The larger airlines crushed the smaller ones. Even, even some larger ones like Pan Am were lost and they started acquiring these smaller airlines that they could then list as subsidiaries and hire people on outside of the union contracts they had for their main airline. So it was just a chance to screw over the workers every single chance they had here. The way it worked was if you were a pilot before deregulation, you got paid well at your previous salary. Afterwards, at one of the main hubs, you got paid a little less well and if you're at one of the subsidiaries, you were paid as little as they could possibly get away with. And because this is private industry, one of the things that's recently become an issue is that they have been bailed out twice after the internet bubble burst, as and of course 9-11, and then again during COVID. And because they pushed for this huge effort to become a private industry, they actually do have bankruptcy plans in place to allow them to still function safely while filing bankruptcy, which is the system that's created for any private industry. But instead, they Uh, received $54 billion in taxpayer money this year after receiving one from 2020. And
3: then continued to fuck us. This is the thing that drives me crazy. Like, my ass paid for you to not go bankrupt while I'm going bankrupt. And then you have the nerve to tell me it's $50 to check my bag on a flight I've already paid $300
2: for? Get fucked. Incredible. And the support was supposed to go to payroll aid with some estimations saying that it equaled about $300,000 per job saved. But then airlines blamed their significant reductions in flight due to lack of staffing. They cut everything. In fact, after receiving five billion billion, one one airline sold stock for $1 billion just using this to further bolster themselves. And again, using taxpayer money despite their fight to become deregulated and independent. I hate
3: them.
2: Oh, it was, it was just absolutely despicable behavior. And as you would mentioned here with the tickets pricing and separate baggage fees, there's a claim that this is done because people pay for the cheapest ticket, not realizing that it might end up being more expensive with baggage fees. And that's partially true. But a big reason for this separation and creating aspects as auxiliaries was that there is an extra tax on ticket pricing. If they get anything other than the actual ticket that they can put separate, they don't have to pay the same high tax on. And the tax, by the way, goes to the FAA and to expanding and keeping the airport structure safe. That's all it goes to is to keeping the things for the passengers and safety better, but charging us separately for these baggage. So
3: why would you want to contribute to that? Yes.
2: <laughs> so this deregulation has led to just a few companies succeeding massively. And it, it just ended up with this oligopoly, where it was the exact opposite of what they claimed the intention of this was, was to create a free enterprise exchange here to create competition. But because of this instead, it ended up with, you have a hub, you have a few locations. It got harder to get small planes to smaller locations. And as they were able to control this, here's the thing, if you can make first class better, a great experience, you can get people to pay more. An easier way to do that without more expense to yourself is make coach worse. You don't have to make first class better if coach is terrible.
3: Coach keeps getting worse and worse. And it's also like, I've looked into upgrading to first class and it's not like the difference of a hundred dollars. It's it's thousands of dollars where I'm like, this isn't, you can't even consider it.
2: Nothing they could offer is worth that. There's nothing they could possibly give you in this relatively short experience worth the thousands of dollars of upgrade.
3: Well, And what drives me out of my mind is how they'll try to sell it to you. Is they're like, you get free drinks. Bitch, they are not free. Yeah. You pay $3,000 for them. That's more than bottle service in a fancy nightclub where you're for sure going to get laid. Yeah.
2: (laughs) I could not possibly drink enough to make that worth the money. Right. No.
1: And trust me, I've given it my best. Yeah. I'm not (laughs) going to spend that much. I just, I simply can't.
2: Yeah. So it it was this insane thing where again, because they couldn't possibly make this worth it, it became this crazy, class distinction. The same thing as who gets to board the plane first. Now, these small perks that aren't really worth much of anything, but are symbolic towards the class of the type of person that could afford them. And to the richest people, being able to show that you have money is the most important aspect. So they just kept making coach worse. They they decreased bathroom sizes. They decreased the space between seats, the the comfort, absolutely anything they could do with the, the level of service, obviously required food. And the shift here in deregulation, of course, allowed them to change ticket pricing for different seats on the same flight. And that was something that was very strictly controlled before. If you were on the flight, you were on the flight, and that was it. And this shift led to the massive change that we have today. And it just created a further and further disparity between the different sections of a single plane, where it became more about showing why yours is better and yours is worse and actually being better or worse.
3: Well, they also, I don't know if you guys heard this, and God help me if they ever move to this, because I'm going to lose all of my mind. But I read (laughs) a couple of years ago that some airlines were considering having Having flights with no seats at all, just like a public bus where you just hang on to a thing for the whole flight. And they're like, oh, this could be, you know, a discount. I'm like, guys, somebody sitting in the same seat over and over and over again isn't what's costing you money, you bunch of cunts. (laughs) (laughs) You could at least rent chairs like a church does. At least give me a folding chair.
1: But like, have you ever experienced... Turbulence, Like, are there, like, is it going to be, like, snowboard boots in the ground that you got to, like, strap your feet in and just, like, really just hope?
3: Also, is there an age cutoff for that? Or are you letting, like, 80-year-olds fly discount and stand up the whole way and then definitely fall and explode into dust? Oh, yeah. <laughs>
2: one of those things where it was really like a let's just see how far we can push people before they break out the guillotines kind of strategy. Yes. I had read about that consideration. And I think we didn't see it going very far, but they're they're still pushing as many ideas as they can to reduce any comfort. And the ones are saying like, oh, we save you money by not having the extra things like, you know, peanuts. And it's like the peanuts are costing you very little. I don't think the peanuts are the issue here.
1: They're costing you literal peanuts. Yeah.
2: <laughs> it's they're remarkably cheap.
1: Like that cost peanuts is not excuse to say that is worth no money.
2: Yeah, it's also like
3: anytime you have snacks on a plane, the airline is getting them at a deep, deep, deep discount for the branding. Fuck you.
2: Oh yeah, no, they didn't go to the lobby and pay seven dollars for M and M's like you did before getting on the plane.
3: Like I paid nine dollars for a water. Yeah, no.
2: Oh god, I hate doing that. Also, the taking of your water beforehand, so you have to buy water there. It's I. I could easily do an entire episode on the TSA.
1: Andrew, what if you had bomb juice? Yeah.
3: <laughs> I had a full meltdown coming back from Dubai because at the airport there, I bought a big bottle of water at the airport, like you're supposed to fucking do. And they won't let you get on a plane with it. Seriously? They make you throw it out before you get on a plane. I'm like, I did the fucking thing I'm supposed to do. And they're like, not here. And I'm like, now that am I? what am I going to do with it before I get on the plane? What do you think is going to happen? You guys sold this to me.
2: Right. You sold it past security. <laughs> you confirmed I didn't have the stuff. Oh my God. That's, that's insane.
1: Oh, so mad. I just can't wait for them to start like taping tax down to coach seats. Yeah. <laughs> like literally just making it as worse as possible.
2: Well, there is a lot of funding here. We, we talk about what went into things like the, the TSA, which we'll, we'll just touch on briefly here, because millions has gone into this. And I get the idea of increased money for safety, but it is one of the biggest scams possible. Not once have they stopped a terrorist attack or done anything remotely contributory to passenger safety.
3: Mm-mm, no, I refuse to go through that big like wind tunnel thing yeah <laughs> And i get like sometimes the tsa will argue with me i'm like i'd like to opt out of that because i'm not i don't have global entry yet and i'd like to opt out and just last week, somebody goes, are you worried about the radiation? Because you don't have to worry about that. I'm like, this is the only form of protest I can participate in right now. So I'm going to do it. If I could shit on the floor <laughs> and still get on my flight, I would do that. But this is all I'm allowed to do. So I'm going to be doing this.
2: Which, I mean, good. There's systems here. I, I, The last flight I I went on, it was one, they waved us all through it. You have to go through the section. And as soon as they saw it was getting back up, backed up, they waved us through the one where nobody checks you for anything. And it has not done a single thing to create a safer environment. This has been proven over and over again. But what it has done is allowed them to do searches that would otherwise be illegal on journalists, including to search the documents and electronics of protected sources, things that would not be viewable to anyone in court. But because it was stopped at the border on international travel at an airport, they were able to hold journalists for hours without, or, or days even without seeing any representation while going through their stuff, while breaking into electronics. And doing the same just to figures this happened, this it ramped up significantly under the Trump administration where it was just anyone where if they found they had differing political opinions, if they posted on social media things that they considered anti-Trump or Trump supporters, they would detain them in any other situation that would be illegal. But for TSA was allowed because there was just this extreme TSA can do whatever they want at any time if they claim they have cause. I hate them. Yeah.
3: <laughs> Look, I am
1: want to skip ahead to an in their defense. Uh, sure. Right <laughs> if you can tell me that the airport can have unlimited nude photos of me taken with a radio gun. (laughs) And in response, I don't have to worry... About someone bringing snacks from home, worth it. (laughs) Like, remember when that thing first came out and, like, it would, like, they showed the actual models on the news, and you're like, that is a nude body in, like, a PS4 graphics right here. You just didn't do a face on it. And they're like, okay, well, when you see it on the other side, we'll replace the nude body and do a fun little cartoon outline of a person. Is no, you now know what my dick looks like. Yeah. Because I wanted to fly to Florida. Like, how is that a
2: fair trade-off?
3: <laughs> Which, first of all, somebody wanting to fly to Florida.
2: And that's suspicious to begin with. Yeah, I get that. Yeah,
3: exactly. That's a <laughs> sign of a mental illness and you should be held. I was just there last weekend and uh, woo, buddy. <laughs>
1: that's t- Look, I just wanted the thrill of knowing a TSA agent was looking at my naked body and Florida was the cheapest flight, baby.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yes. It is one of those things where it's like, yeah, if, if you want to do things that you have through any sort of study... <laughs> proven works. Like, fine, I'm willing to spend more time at an airport going through an annoying process. But the security theater where we, in fact, know it can make things more dangerous because people have the illusion of security. So aren't as aware. It has just been proven over and over again to be the worst system possible. And
1: they pat themselves on the back for it so much. They have an Instagram account where they just put up photos of things that they found. And like, I look at it every now and then. I'm just like, man, like they're putting everything they found that day. I'm like, man, so many more people Got through with shit oh, and yeah. like whatever you're putting on Instagram to like brag right now.
3: <laughs> it's also like the Boy Scouts are finding more than this, you fucking moron. Oh,
2: yeah. <laughs> It's what, what it was shown 80% when they have someone go and try to stick something in 80% of the time they get it through. Obviously the people that they catch are the ones who haven't tried to hide it because I just forgot that I had nail clippers on me because I'm not trying to sneak anything in here.
3: When I was flying out of JFK a few weeks ago, there was an old couple and they were like all dressed up. I mean, they were, they were just so cute. Yeah. They were probably like, they were in their their 80s and they were extremely dapper coming through security. And the woman, the TSA agent was like, you have to take off your shoes. And they're like, what? It's like they hadn't flown since the 80s or something. Yeah. And they were like, huh? Like they ne- had never heard of this. And the woman's like, you have to take off your shoes to go through. And the guy goes, I'm 82. Yeah. And she's like, you still have to take off your shoes. And I'm thinking he's 82. Right. <laughs> Who gives a fuck? Yeah. Leave old people alone. You
0: know? Yeah.
1: My grandfather is in his 80s. He refuses to fly as like a protest. He will drive no matter where it is. He, like He will find a bridge to Hawaii if he ever has to be there. <laughs> ever since they changed the rules. He's like, I've never committed a crime in my life and you're not gonna treat me like I'm doing intake into prison. I refuse. He will not do the entire process.
3: This is the thing. That is exactly what it's like, intake into prison. And it's also like, this is fucking mean, but the people working TSA, we see them. Yeah, <laughs>
2: These are not honor students. These are not people who should be in charge of national security. When you see that, how much of it is just the process of like, I'm going to pat you down. They're not paying attention to anything. They're just going through the process of the hand swipe because they know it's not stopping anything. It's just the process. It's just the the, the effort of pretending it could stop something.
3: I have had two extremely bad daffling because i I, like i said i always opt out one time because there's no i mean they're i think they're all taught the same thing but they do whatever the fuck they want it's totally rogue like some people like really pat you some people don't really pat you i had a woman she pats me down to my front like over my shirt goes up under my bra grabs my tits oh my i feel like that's not appropriate i was like and i can't say it i was like so upset but i'm like i can't say anything because this moron it can prevent me from getting on my flight so it's the same as like a cop doing it because i I'm like, if I complain, I'm fucked. I'm not getting on my flight. Then there was another time where I was flying to Vegas for a friend's bachelorette party and we were going straight from the flight to the nightclub so I am in like a short cocktail dress and I had flip flops on for the flight whatever fucking please forgive me and ding dong still pats down my whole naked leg oh I'm my like God. what weapons you think I have hidden under my skin yeah. <laughs> this fucking lunatic and it's like when people aren't able to not do exactly what they were told because they can't discern why it's fucking stupid I'm like we're lost this whole country is lost again I'm shouting out to covid for taking some people out <laughs> <laughs> We needed it.
2: (laughs) Well, so I feel like this was another good sidetrack here because this is absolutely one of the things that makes me angriest about travel, even though I'm stuck uncomfortable for three hours on a plane. But we've got our personal experience. We have the history of aviation here and where it went wrong with deregulation and TSA. So that brings us to in their defense, which I feel like none of us should defend TSA. Uh, What can we defend about deregulation?
3: Lisa, any thoughts? Here's the thing. If a plane goes down now, if a plane crashes versus then there is so little Room, that there's just more people. You're able to stuff more people onto a plane, which really means more padding around my body <laughs> when the plane goes down. So there's that's my in defense of.
2: That, that's a really solid point here. <laughs> <laughs> and what do you have in their defense?
3: So there
1: is an airline. And I'm not saying that they're good. I'm saying they exist. They're called Spirit Airlines.
3: Holy Christ.
1: <laughs> you could pay for a ticket on Spirit Airlines with, I think, just a dance. Like, I think <laughs> they'll accept that as payment. Like, they, it's no money to get on a flight at Spirit Airlines. I just pulled it up. I could fly to Tampa for $37 right now.
3: Why Tampa? Again, what are we doing?
1: Look, I'm just saying what the price is. I'm not saying it's good. Hey,
3: you could fly to Tampa for $37 on any airline because nobody wants to go there. Okay,
1: I could go to Miami tonight for $45. That's also impressive. Like it's no money. It is, it is just, I could sing them a song and they'll be like, get on the flight, you crazy kid. Will my bag be $300? Yes, most likely but that's because I'm going to do a carry-on or a backpack of all this shit that I can shove in there because I'm going to Tampa. Who cares what I'm dressed as? No (laughs) one gives a shit. I can get my whole wardrobe at the airport that I arrive at.
3: Even if you're in a wedding, you just need flip-flops for Tampa. Exactly.
1: I could show up there in cargo shorts and a who-farted t-shirt and I'm very (laughs) ready to go to that Tampa wedding. So in that regards, the deregulation kind of worked out if you wanted to go to one of like the five flight Spirit House per day and they all go to places you don't want to go, perfect. For everything else, horrible and I'm not even going to try to defend it. I just had to do my quick Spirit Airlines tight 2.
2: I did see a flight, Spirit or what it was like, Spirit. It was $18 to Arkansas. What? Yeah.
3: Hold on. Maybe now I'm coming around on Spirit Airlines. But,
2: but I, I, I saw it and it was like, this is such a great price. I'm like, well, yeah, but that's because you're basically being punished to go to Arkansas. Like, this seems worse. This seems worse to not pay any money and just staying here. So I suppose if you had to go, fine, it's a great deal. But my, in their defense, imagine that you are in any of the areas nearby Las Vegas, okay? And you want to go to Las Vegas and you can't handle the 45-minute flight it would take without being in the Las Vegas-esque terrible atmosphere of drunk, rowdy people all determined to lose money. There are <laughs> themed airlines that will get you there, that will be the Las Vegas experience In the air, the worst experience you could humanly imagine. But if it was government funded, if this was government regulated, do you think there would be an airplane that most likely had some kind of hidden casino craps game going on in the back? No, the government's not going to support that. No way.
3: Not unless it was Air Force One. (laughs) Yeah.
2: (laughs) It will be the worst experience of your entire life if you are a normal human person. That is not already trash. But let's say you (laughs) are one of the people. I'm trash. Yeah. (laughs) If you got to the airport already drunk, prepared to drink into your flight, as many people do, this is your nirvana. This is the plane that was built for you where everyone is like-minded. And I can't imagine terrible hell-like plane like that existing if it weren't for government deregulation. And you know what? That's what it's really about is options. It's just just terrible, terrible option. So thank you, government deregulation, for that choice.
1: Andrew, I just want to say from one thing from your rant that I now want to say, I think Spirit Airlines just exists so that you could afford a ticket so that you could get through security to tell someone that you love them, like to have your big dramatic moment. Oh,
3: I thought you were gonna say to tell TSA to eat your ass.
1: (laughs) I mean, I could kill two birds with one stone. I can have a big declaration of love where I'm like, don't get on the plane, but I also turn to TSA and be like, you you can eat my whole ass, all right? I'm not going to your nude tube over here.
3: You know what, it's funny, that never occurred to me that you could just get a Spirit Airlines flight for like six bucks to just go sit at the airport. I'm gonna start doing that.
1: If you wanna go to a Chili's too, I mean, this is your best bet.
2: It's yeah, only place you can get it. You know what? I love paying $27 for the exact same hamburger I can get and do not want at regular Chili's.
1: Man. It's a limited menu at Chili's too, Love that they don't have the full menu.
2: But, okay, so you could get to go to a Chili's with lebs options for more money. <laughs> That That's the dream here. Thank you, government deregulation. This did also, of course, spur the Reagan years, which led to extreme deregulation across the entire board and every company they possibly could, leading to just, you know, massive global poisoning. So huge jump off here from airline deregulation. Lisa Curry, <laughs> thank you so much for being here. I'm so mad. Thank you for having <laughs> me. In this infuriating episode where we're now all angry about everything from both airlines to not having gills for some reason
3: guys hold up tsa as much as you can do not go through that fucking whirly machine just as a just as a protest because if everyone protested if we all band together and (laughs) protest how is it that we we are all everybody's going through that goddamn thing and then doesn't want to wear a mask incredible what you're picking the wrong things guys i
2: (laughs) fantastic closer thank you very much also guys for all of our listeners alive for a while go check it out and if you know absolutely anybody connected to the grammys anyone please Please just go tell him to vote for this. Uh, I have been such a big fan of Lisa for so long. It was great to do a show with you to have you on here. Oh,
3: thank you so much.
2: I'm going to go through my contacts now just in case uh, to push this along. <laughs> so, Lisa, thank you for joining us, guys. Thank you for listening. If you enjoy this, please subscribe. Give us five stars. It helps us out so much. We also have a Patreon down in the show notes that helps us keep this show running. We're coming back next week. We hope you'll join us then. When? I'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.